Welcome to Bit First Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support this show, please tap the link in this episode's description. If you're using the Anchor application or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So sorry I wasn't around for last week, but after doing this for a year, I did take a week to kind of look at what I wanted to do and kind of assess where I wanted to go with this. And the long story is that short on this one is that, yeah, I'm going to probably do about the same thing for now. I have some uh, ideas for the future, but, you know, I I like the format as it is. That being said, taking a week off, clearly I have a a lot of news to catch up on and a lot of things that have come out. So let's get started. So first up on some news, uh, there's two security incidents that happened just this past week, really. Uh, That's with Google Plus and Facebook. So with the Google Plus security incident, it was uh, due to the fact that there was a previously undisclosed security flaw that potentially affected up to about 500,000 users. So this was made public by a Wall Street Journal article, and it detailed an API vulnerability that was found earlier this year by Google and quickly fixed. The issue really wasn't that it happened, but more that Google opted to not disclose the flaw due to kind of worry about oversight and legal liability. So in response to the article, Google opted to shut down the consumer side of Google Plus over the next 10 months, but that is not to say that Google Plus itself is dead. They are increasing efforts for the business version, which has seen increased adoption. But this bug was supposedly found by an internal effort at Google named Project Strobe. And they are additionally adding further API restrictions to kind of avoid these types of issues in the future, notably around access to APIs such as Gmail and Android apps using kind of their contact phone and SMS APIs. So it'll be interesting to see where this takes us in the future, but Needless to say, they probably should have disclosed this one, um, and we'll just see if there's any fallout from it. Moving on to the Facebook hack, uh, it was found that they were actively being hacked via this vulnerability, and it's unlike Google, which doesn't believe any developer actually accessed uh, the vulnerability, but Facebook uh, was hacked to about the tune of around 30 million accessed accounts. It was a rather complex bug to exploit and involved the view as feature and stealing user tokens. So the flaw itself has been present since about July 2017, but they noticed a rise in access requests around September 14th this year, and that led them to find and shut it down by the 25th of September. It was actively exploited, and the type of data stolen was primarily like the biographical type data, Uh, But this could really enable attacks on like bank accounts and the like that require kind of those security questions where answers could be gleaned from this type of information. So I'm still kind of figuring out what their response and how uh, legal liability will show up with this, especially in light of such things like uh, the GDPR. And so it will be interesting to see where this goes. Kind of following up on... this type of news, uh, California actually passed a uh, law regarding weak passwords on internet-connected devices. 
Now, it's not to go into effect until 2020, but it requires that all internet-connected devices that are made or sold in the region uh, to have unique passwords generated at creation. So it's partly in response to poor Internet of Things or IoT device security. And the main criticism has been that it's kind of a missed opportunity to add in provisions to also keep the devices up to date. I would argue that at least it's something. Um, Yes, there could always be more done, but this is a pretty large deal in terms of how it affects a lot of devices as they're made. So I don't, I don't want to naysay too much on this. I think it'll be interesting to see how this is adopted, if it's adopted, and what the effects are. Uh, Google Pixel 3 and Home Hub, amongst some other products, were released uh, by Google Launch Event. Uh, it says made by Google family kind of thing. Um, although these may have been some of the most leaked devices in the history of launch events, nonetheless, Google announced these. Google Pixel 3 is an iteration on the previous designs with further improvements across the board. So it's making an already excellent piece of hardware even better. Uh, The Google Home Hub, though, is a $149 device that has a tablet screen essentially running Google Assistant. So it's a very cheaply priced device for what it is. It can do quite a bit uh, adding onto that functionality. The biggest drawback may be that lack of a front-facing camera, but Google said that they did that to uh, allay privacy fears and to also keep the cost down. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for this, and with that cost, it could be a very cool addition to kind of the smart home family. We had a number of re- uh, software releases. Uh, Grafana 5.3 came out. Uh, so this release adds a new Google Stack Driver data source implementation, uh, Postgres uh, kind of uh, query builder, uh, some additional TV mode support, alert reminders, and annotation uh, built-in updates. Uh, So the alert reminders are kind of cool where we'll keep reminding you, basically, if you haven't acknowledged an alert. Uh, And the annotations let you do some more uh, data tagging. Uh, And these are for the built-in ones, which I like because I don't have to worry about putting them in a different data source. Font Awesome 5.4.1, though 5.4 is a bigger release, uh, added about 379 new icons, some refinements to your user code. uh, Pretty great, solid you know, update from an already awesome icon pack. Uh, Plus, I needed a hammer icon for a project, and lo and behold, they added one. Uh, DNS control, 0.2.7 was released. So if you happen to use uh, this piece of software, what it is, it's it's DNS's code, so basically you write out what all your records are, and it applies it. Uh, So it's a great way to actually keep all your DNS records in code. Uh, primarily, it was built to not only do that, but also if you need to push the same records out to multiple DNS providers. Uh, but they just added Let's Encrypt support, uh, which is pretty awesome. Didn't expect that. It means I can move away from Acme.sh, which is the client I'm using now. Uh, and it does support wildcard certs and all that. So if it works well, Uh, It would be a great kind of all-in-one solution, not only to keep my DNS versioned, but also take care of the certificates as, you know, already going. So pretty cool. Check it out. And finally, Restic 0.9.3. I've talked about this before, but it's an awesome Go-based backup utility. And the reason I love Go applications are that they're statically compiled, so you just drop the binary in where you need it. Uh, they're very fast, um, and so they're pretty pretty awesome. 
uh, but it had a new release, lots of little incremental improvements, uh, nothing major, but uh, it's already an awesome tool. So if you use it, check it out and see if it will help you anymore. Um, but it's, it's well worth looking at if you need to back up servers, especially doing snapshots, deduping, and that kind of stuff. A couple of links and resources I found that of interest. Uh, I was looking for a way to kind of randomly generate um, gradient backgrounds uh, via CSS and that kind of thing. I never did quite find what I was looking for, but I did stumble across this uh, granum.js, this G-R-A-N-I-M uh, tool. And it's really a pretty cool uh, JavaScript uh, utility to create these animating gradient backgrounds. Uh, so very cool project uh, and well done. So if you need that kind of thing, check it out. There is a great article um, on supercharging Google Fonts with Cloudflare and service workers. So if you happen to use Cloudflare workers, which I recommend and are awesome, uh, then it's a great article on kind of pairing that technology with a use case to kind of speed up Google Font serving. And so it's a way to use those to kind of cache it uh, at the edge and do some tricks to not only do that, but store the fonts and uh, service workers and this whole thing. And it's pretty cool uh, and a very u interesting, unique look at tying a couple different resources together. So check it out. Kind of neat. Uh, another one, uh, utility I found called Hustle. That's H-U-S-T-L. And what it is, and I haven't tried this yet or need to use it, but it looked pretty cool. It's a utility for the Mac, which lets you do very easy, quick time lapses of your screen. Seems kind of cool for screencasts. Uh, I mean, the demos were primarily for like art design, that kind of thing. Uh, but just a neat utility. Uh, and check it out, see if it's any use. Um, finally, well, two more. Uh, VS, uh, so if you are a user of VS Code, I found a great site out there called vscodecandothat.com. And what it is, it's a great site for learning different techniques that you might not have known about with VS Code. Uh, check it out. So I've already learned a bunch of useful things I never really would have stumbled across normally. And there's just all sorts of kind of stuff that you can uh, learn and little tips and, you know, tricks that you might not know. And finally, a great article also because I was looking for how to do this well, uh, but creating horizontal scrolling containers the right way. So I've been needing this for a few projects uh, and how best on mobile really to uh, do scrolling containers horizontally because um, instead of having just a giant you know vertical list it's nice to have it horizontal and be able to kind of fit things in but it's a very well written article with great techniques explanations for them not sure if you know it's the exact right perfect way but certainly very solid techniques and ideas and everything does make sense to me as to why you would want to do it this way and the arguments laid out are very well so check it out a uh, really good article on that, especially if you're looking to do that kind of thing. So finally, I want to uh, quickly talk about um, kids and programming. And the reason is that recently I've kind of been searching around, uh, again, for good coding learning games. Not only kind of to generate interest, but also in response to my kids asking for this type of thing. Uh, some of that interest has come from, say, playing Minecraft. Uh, that has some rudimentary coding, but 
also just seeing what's out there and wanting to learn how to do it, like make games or uh, see kind of cool animations, that kind of stuff. So it's maybe take a look at what's out there a bit. Um, I'm still looking, but, and I kind of want to talk about what kind of the approaches there are. And what is cool though, is that there are far more games and learning tools out there than ever before. You know, when I was growing up, it was uh, DOS-based computers and that I had to teach mostly to myself uh, how to make it work. And mostly it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of breaking things, uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff that didn't work right. Um, it was hugely helpful for me, and I learned a lot of skills and techniques over the years because of it, but I realized that that's not typical interests for most. So to make coding and the kind of lower level more accessible to a younger generation more broadly, that type of approach, yeah, probably doesn't work as much and doesn't really apply to today's generation of devices and machines. So. That's why there are so many apps out there that are in the same idea of using these basic ideas such as directions, loops, actions, where you kind of plug the pieces together like Lego blocks to make a character or avatar perform that action that you put together on screen. You know, the idea is to kind of get the basic ideas across, and then if there is interest, you can do progressively more advanced things. So I have been struggling, though, to figure out how best to present an environment and ideas for my kids to learn not only at a young age but older you know as they get older and generate interest in more traditional programming languages you know what's really stood out to me though is the sheer interest and desire to design plus the fact that so many resources now exist out there for it and it may not look like the typical programming or computer learning of the past but that's not a bad thing the environments and systems really have drastically changed over the years and once you get interested in this it really does lead to more learning about the ins and outs of other systems as well i can't wait to see kind of what code is created by kids uh you know kind of without the old ideas and constraints placed upon them so it should really lead to some very creative new ideas and content which is kind of what's needed in this rather ever-changing world so if anyone knows of really good, solid suggestions for kids' uh, programming apps, by all means, uh, send them on over to me. I I'm very interested. And that kind of wraps up what I want to talk about today. So it's good to be back uh, after having done a year of this and a week off. Uh, but follow this podcast on Twitter at BitVBite and Facebook at slash BitVBite. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.